Right to be Read podcast, episode number 80. Interview with Srinivas Rao. Are you struggling trying to figure out how to sell copies of your book, especially the first 100 copies? The Author Marketing Institute is offering access to their latest free video course called Selling the First 100 Copies of Your Book. This is the course everyone should have when they started publishing. It goes through all the basics from starting a mailing list to experimenting with different prices. If you follow the instructions in this course, you should be primed and ready to sell your first 100 copies, if not many more. Sign up for free at www authormarketinginstitute.com You are listening to the Right to be Read podcast and this is your host, Ani Alexander. Hello everyone and welcome to the Right to be Read podcast. It's me, Ani Alexander, and as always with each episode, I'm trying to encourage and inspire you. Today, we're already at episode 80, so 20 more and we will have around 100 episodes, which is quite epic because I never thought I could do that and I never thought that it would be so much fun and it would take... Uh, you know, not so long. So today's episode is another interview. And today my guest is Srinivas Rao. Srini is a best-selling author and the host and founder of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. And in this episode, we have a pretty unstructured talk about things related to success and creativity in general. So I hope you'll enjoy the interview. And here we go. Hello, Srini. I'm really excited to welcome you on my show. Uh, I've wanted to do this since a long time, but <laughs> for a while, I didn't have the courage even to ask you for an interview. So I, I'm really honored that you've come finally. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Looking at your journey from the very beginning and the follow being following you for a while I just wanted kind of to touch the points of where you started and how did you start uh, let's say um, in the beginning let's cover the the best-selling book like how did you come up with the idea because I know that you know it didn't come exactly as a book it started from no. something smaller right yeah, I mean, it's, it's, well, I mean, the, the best selling book is, is about five years in the making. I mean, I started, you know, writing online and creating content uh, sometime in 2009, maybe even as early as 2008, um, just trying things, most of which didn't work, most of which sucked, but I just kept writing, uh, you know, and that started a blog called The School of Life. Um, and another, you know, what spun out of there was something called Blogcast FM, which eventually evolved into, you know, what you know today as um, Unmistakable Creative. And so, you know, bit by bit, you know, but I, I think one of the interesting things is it's really hard for you to see where any of it is going to lead. Uh, I, I basically was, uh, you know, working, uh, you know, I was working a job, but I also... Uh, basically just kept writing every day and get, you know, kept exposed, get, getting exposed to new ideas, new authors. I started doing a lot of reading myself and, uh, you, you know, um, 
the thing that's interesting is so, you know, between 2010, 2012, uh, I was doing, you know, hundreds of interviews with bloggers. Eventually that started to evolve into interviews with just all sorts of fascinating people. And, you know, bit by bit, um, uh, you know, my writing even started to change. And, you know, the best-selling book that you mentioned uh, is called The Art of Being Unmistakable. Where that actually came from uh, is um, uh, a series of, you know, ridiculously long Facebook status updates, which uh, got me invited to speak at a conference in Fargo called the Misfit Conference. And one of the things that I ended up doing as a byproduct of that is, uh, you know, I gave a talk called The Art of Being Unmistakable. When I came back, I thought, huh, maybe there's a book here. And so bit by bit, I started to just assemble this collection of Facebook status updates into uh, a collection of essays. And uh, you know, what's funny is that I had no intention of publishing it on Kindle. It just kind of happened because I couldn't figure out how to design it in InDesign. And so I ended up putting it on, um, Amazon and then, uh, you know, I told about 25 friends about it. I mean, I, I'd built enough of a, of a, of a platform at that point that I had, you know, some level of, of, you know, <clears throat> success. And so there were enough people who knew, um, who I was and, and that ended up, um, you know, basically, uh, you know, resulting in sort of all this exposure that I could have never planned or predicted for, you know, Glenn Beck found the book. And then, uh, you know, because I was on a fairly, you know, prominent media outlet, the book ended up selling thousands of copies and, and that's how it came about. So that's how the best selling book came about. But I mean, it's, it, there's a lot more to it probably than I'm letting on. I mean, it's like I said, I mean, <laughs> hundreds of stories, hundreds of hours and five years in the making. Yeah, well, amazing. I'm just wondering, many of us uh, also just like you have been writing a lot and have been trying different things. Most of them didn't work. We kept mm -hmm. on writing. But what kept you continue writing and how to keep that motivation in place where you kind of end up seeing over and over again that things don't really meet your expectations? How do you deal with that situation? Um, you know, that's, that's actually a, a really interesting question because I was just writing about the idea of expectations this morning and, you know, it, it, there's, there's a real, you know, I hate to, to steal from somebody else, but I think it, it's, it's pretty relevant. You know, Seth Godin released this new book called Leap First mm -hmm. and in it, he talks about expectations. His expectations are a killer of joy. One of the things that I, I realized is that, uh, you will never live up to everybody's expectations. Um, and if you can come to terms with that, it actually, you know, frees you to do your work. Uh, you'll never live up to everybody's, everybody's expectations. And if you are putting so much pressure on yourself to live up to the ones that you've set for yourself, um, you're kind of, you know, you're kind of handcuffed right from the start. And it makes it really hard to do interesting work because the problem is that nothing is guaranteed to work. And part of what kills our ability to do things is that we have these lofty expectations. And when we don't, suddenly things are, are a lot easier. Um, and that's, you know, sometimes I think about the beauty of being a beginner and not having an audience and, you know, not having uh, anybody reading your stuff. There, there's something very liberating about that. Yeah, you feel very free and you kind of oh, yeah. can experiment a lot and do pretty much anything you you want to do. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really uh, the privilege of uh, not having anyone reading you yet. <laughs> mm -hmm. But um, so when you're, start building your audience and you start getting feedback around mm -hmm. what you've written how, how much do you allow the feedback of your readers to change the things you're writing or you know your writing style or the things you've already written do you do kind of uh, go back to the feedback and change the things 
Um, no, I actually don't. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a really interesting question, one I'm sure that comes up for a lot of people, especially writers and people who are uh, you know, creating things. I actually think that I think that, that can be a really dangerous thing that waters down your work. So I kind of just put things out in the world. I mean, I look at feedback, but the thing that I'm realizing more and more is that feedback can become a whole other form of addiction. Like we can get really addicted to, you know, whether feedback is good, whether feedback, you know, whether, mm-hmm. whether it's good or bad. And, and the thing is that if you keep trying to, so the, here's the thing, there's, there's downsides to both good and bad feedback. You know, you, if you, you know, try to give into bad feedback, then you're catering to people who hate you, which is completely pointless. The downside to good feedback is you're constantly trying to impress the people who, who like you. And in that effort to try to, you know, get, um, you know, actually I, I wrote about this the other day where I said, you know, we're culturally conditioned to, um, seek praise and avoid criticism. And mm. so, and the problem with that is that the more you do that, you layer that on and on and on until, you know, the real truth of what you want to share just gets buried under that. So, so to answer your question, I'm aware that there's an audience there. Um, I try to balance work that I find interesting and work that matters to me as well as catering, you know, kind of catering to, to catering to the fact that, I, you know, I hope it resonates. But at the same time, I think if I write with the intention that it has to absolutely strike a chord with the audience, then I won't write, I, I won't do good work. Okay, I see. So can we say that you're kind of uh, managing to keep the balance of staying authentic and yeah. following your own voice, and then you end up having the people who resonate with that becoming your audience as a result? Yeah, I think that's that's a fair, fair way to put it. Okay, great. So um, what about the building of that audience i mean you you said that it took you five years until the book was out and during all Mm -hmm. those years you were writing blog posts etc i'm sure that like many of us uh in the very very beginning you didn't really have many people who read your blog posts like the very first ones and uh so how did you i mean when did you realize that oh this is happening you know things start moving and this is the right direction where i should continue to doing it that way because it works? Ooh, that's a, that's a tough question because I think, you know, I, I've written before about inflection points, right? You know, some people will say that a lot of people will quit right before the inflection point. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing is, I think there are multiple inflection points. Like there are certain things, you know, where, where something starts to strike a chord or you notice the audience starting to grow a little bit and you're like, okay, I can, I can stay and, and come back. I mean, I mean, part of it is that, we we've kind of really gotten obsessed with growing the audience almost to a fault. Um, and, and the challenge, you know, with that is that again, it kind of takes us back to the whole thing. When we're obsessed with growing the audience, we try to do work that is designed to grow the audience as opposed to work that's designed to strike a chord. Um, or, you know, as I like to say, touch someone's heart. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, yeah, there were numerous points along the way, uh, one was kind of starting to see that, okay, people are listening to this show and it's gone from hundreds into about a thousand. And, you know, right around a thousand, you're thinking, okay, that's, that's not a small number of people. And then it gets to, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, And you're thinking, wait a minute, if we actually invited all the people who listen to this show to come and meet us somewhere, we could fill an auto, a, a stadium. That's when you, you kind of say, okay, well, this is worth continuing. But even then, there's nothing guaranteed, right? Because, I mean, you look at that and you can say, okay, well, you know, somebody else has a million people. And so you get into this comparison trap, which is also a dangerous thing to do. Mm -hmm. So part of it is, you know, 
one, asking yourself, okay, do I still feel compelled to keep going? Am I still motivated? Does this still strike a chord with me? Uh, is my heart still in it? And, you know, it, you know, I had, a, I had a blog called The School of Life and somewhere around the middle, at, like late 2013, I stopped writing on it completely. Like I almost never wrote a thing on it again uh, because I realized, you know, where the audience really uh, was, you know, working for me was on the show, not as a blogger mm-hmm. and not as a writer about, you know, and I'm much more skilled as an interviewer than I am a writer. Okay. Well, actually, um, yes. I, I mean, I, I can relate to that myself because apparently more people uh, prefer listening to, to my show than reading what I write. So <laughs> it's, I don't know. I mean, do you think there is some kind of, uh, I mean, w- what makes um, the podcasting so... Uh, I don't know, intimate or kind of having more engaged audience, let's say, or, or you know, a deeper relationship with the listeners uh, that the blog doesn't really, I mean, is that the case or it's just, you know, it happens like that? Um, with podcasting? With podcasting. I mean, do, do you think that with podcasting, the audience is uh, gets more intimate relationship with the host or... Um Yeah. So that's that's actually a really interesting question. And and I think that, I mean, if you think about it, right, like we're talking about uh, a combination of verbal versus nonverbal communication. Uh, You know, when 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 you're listening to somebody's voice, you're experiencing them on strangely enough at a nonverbal level. There's something that comes across that you can't quite get across with just words. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I mean, words can, can you, you can understand somebody through the words they write, but at the same time, I don't know that you get the same level of depth in terms of connection. Uh, like, you know, you look at it. Okay. So, so you hear my voice. Imagine if you see me, uh, you know, so, so actually I, I think I've written about this before is, you know, levels of intimacy within content. Uh, I think writing is the least intimate of all forms of content. Um, I think that audio is sort of the next level up. I think video is uh, another level up. And then if you meet in person, like at a conference, that's the highest level of intimacy. In fact, uh, there's a post on uh, Mark Schaefer's blog, and it's also in my book, The Small Army Strategy, called Social Media Intimacy Strategies or something like that. Um, so yeah, without a doubt, I think that, that audio definitely does do something to an yeah. audience. Yeah, because I, I was just wondering that many podcasters are also providing the transcripts of their shows. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you listen to the same thing and then you read the transcript, which is kind of, you know, the textual version of exactly the same thing which was, was spoken, you get a completely different kind of you know, oh, yeah. impression. There's no question. I don't think the experience of reading a transcript is the same as listening to somebody's voice. Yeah, I see. Okay, so can you tell us, like, let's say, during this um, long journey of getting where you are right now, which were the biggest struggles that you overcame? Um, I mean, I think as, as far as struggles go, you, you really, part of it is, is not quitting, you know, when you want to. Um, that's the, there are moments when I thought, okay, this is never going to work. You know, I mean, I've, I've gone through business partners who didn't work out. Those were some challenging moments where, you know, our, the level of work ethic or the level of commitment wasn't the same between the two people. Um, and then I think one of the things that happens is the stakes get higher as, as you grow, you know, last year we did a conference, like, you know, you, you, once you start playing with bigger amounts of money, the level of risk goes, gets more significant. The level mm-hmm. of expectation is much more significant from other people. Um, and you have to deliver and that increases the pressure. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, one of the, you know, one of the, like maybe here, here's a big lesson I think for, for me and, and for anybody else is that it doesn't stop after you've had one level of success. 
like that's not where it ends. In fact, um, if you, if you have this notion that you know you're going to get to some point where you've made it, that's really really insidious. And I only know because I learned that the hard way. I didn't make it. Um, I had a moment of success, and the problem is that I didn't keep doing what had got me to that point. Uh, you know, I tried to I tried to basically rest on my laurels, and I paid the price for that. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, I see. Well, it, but I think it's a natural reaction because you know very few can kind of uh, realize that at the exact moment where they are supposed to realize that. <laughs> yeah, because, sure. I mean, I, I'm sure that many, many have done the same mistake uh, mm-hmm. as, as you've done. So, uh, in that case, um, I mean, I, I presume uh, that you know, whenever you achieve something and whenever you get success, it's always beyond your comfort zone you kind of you know step out of it and there are some things required uh which were the things that you felt the most uncomfortable about trying or doing which later on led you to to successful ending um you know i think the the biggest thing was basically pushing you know pushing edges with my honesty and my transparency uh which in the beginning was scary i thought okay this is going to be career suicide i mean if you go and look at the uh, art of being unmistakable you know um paragraph description or the amazon description i say this is uh, you know i committed career suicide one facebook status update at a time and this is the story of of mm-hmm. what happened um and in that process i found my voice uh, so that was, you know, that was scary because it was, you know, it was, you know, risky. And then of course, you know, it, it basically saying, Hey, we're going to level up and go from, you know, a $3 book to a $1,300 conference. That was really terrifying, uh, because I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't sure if we'd succeed. Uh, and that's, that's, you know, and, and that's the thing, but the thing is like you, if you want to do bigger projects, you have to take those kinds of risks. Yeah, exactly. I mean, higher risk, higher return, right? Yeah, <laughs> so. exactly. But sometimes, I mean, the the thing is, but that I hear over and over again, uh, the the message I'm getting from you is that you basically you never have this insurance that it's gonna work and it's no. gonna be successful. So you kind of, you know, you end up taking risks over and over again every time, one step at a time, and mm-hmm. uh, and with each step, you're taking higher risks because you can afford those, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, so in, in that case, let's say, uh, do do you think that actually anything, any progress can happen without risk? No, not really. I mean, at least a minimal risk. Minimal risk. Yeah, no. I mean, if if you if you are going to keep doing what feels safe and comfortable, no, absolutely not. Okay. And and you've kind of, you know, you yourself, uh, whatever you've done so far is everything is related to different creative uh, uh, demonstrations like, you know, the writing, the podcasting, creating different mm-hmm. content and things like that. So yeah. and you, you've also interviewed many, many people who have been insanely creative. So what do you think that all those people have in common? What is this creativity in inside that kind of makes these people unique and and makes them how they are that's a good question it's almost like my final question that i ask um you know it's funny (laughs) people ask me what i've been trying to get to by asking that question i said i'll know when i've decided to stop asking the question boy that's a that's a good question and a hard one to answer what do they all have in common um i think the fact that they don't have anything in common ironically enough uh, and let, let me let me elaborate on that. I think the the fact that they uh, have 
somehow overcome every voice of fear and self-doubt in order to be the most truest, most authentic version of they are with no apologies for how they show up in the world. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that's really what it is. They're kind of, they're all the type of people who say, this is who I am, take it or leave it, love me or hate me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it puts- And that's not an easy thing to do. Now it puts you in a very vulnerable situation, <laughs> yeah. but uh, but at the same time it brings comfort somehow because you you, you know when, when you act the way you are you you kind of you end up freeing yourself from pretending and and playing a role which is kind of you know quite tiring actually. Yeah. So yeah. Well. Okay. In that case, let's think about um i mean creative people are um, i mean they are creative all the time but sometimes mm-hmm. you know there are some periods where they are more creatively productive let's say than some others and there are many right. factors that influence this creativity flow so what are the things that kind of help you with enhancing that creative periods of yours what what helps you most um, being away from the computer is a big one um in any way shape or form i mean whether that means going out for a run going surfing you know uh all that kind of stuff uh, you know reading books i think really the key is just you know shutting down the digital distractions i think surfing uh you know being away from the computer um exposing yourself to different types of, of creative inputs you know like you know different types of books different types of movies different types of music because you know the the culture of the internet now perpetuates you know i'll tell you one of the biggest um Play, well, one of the yeah, where my work really started to improve and change was when I stopped reading books about social media and blogging. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> every time, like once I I I, re- I literally stopped reading any book about marketing or online marketing or social media, and then my work got significantly more interesting and better. Okay, was it because they kind of end up giving you the same advice, which not necessarily is right for you? Well, yeah. I mean, those books are, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I have friends who've written some of those books and I've probably, you know, I mean, small army strategy could be considered one of those books. Uh, you know, the interesting thing about many of those books is that by the time they come out uh, and are published, they're outdated. Um, uh-huh. because the, the thing is while they were being written, so much was changing that they're no longer relevant. So that's one thing to consider. Um, the other is that, you know, many of those books are really designed for, um, you know, doing, uh, giving you a repeatable framework that you can kind of, you know, uh, create the same thing over and over again. Like you compare, you know, a, a book on, you know, Facebook marketing, for example, to a typical Seth Godin book. One is filled with a bunch of inspirational stuff that seems very hard to follow. There's no advice. It's more of a compass than it is a map. And the other gives you a play by play, you know, sort of tactic by tactic roadmap for how to do something. One, I think, is what leads you to really interesting work. The other, I think, is what leads to predictable work. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, uh, you know, the fact that you prefer the the later one is uh, because you're a creative person. Yeah, I mean, without a doubt. <laughs> and you need this space of, you know, doing your own way and your own things within the, you know, the compass, as you said, within the, the values and the directions inside. Well, yeah. And in that case, what is besides the digital world and the social media, what else does impact you negatively it impacts your creativity and writing and things like negatively? that? Negatively? Yes. Um, that's a good question. I think stress. Uh, it, you know, I mean, if you do any research on happiness, the, the, it's pretty clear that, you know, you're not performing at your peak when you're stressed out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
stressed out yes but what about the uh, kind of i don't know there are many writers who claim that they write best when they are depressed let's say i uh, I, i think that's <laughs> ridiculous i mean depending on the kind of writing i mean if, if you read writing like that it's very dark usually and yeah maybe some of it comes out but i, I don't know i i don't buy that um like i've never found that my best work comes out when i'm very depressed uh i, I really don't agree with that at all um I think the other thing that, that, you know, is really, I think one thing that kills creativity is comparison. Um, you know, we, and that's so easy to do in the online world because somebody else writes something beautiful, somebody else writes something epic, and we always feel that, oh my God, I'll never be able to write anything that good. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so you say that, you know, something really well written may become a discouraging thing and you may kind of, you know, get... Well, yeah, if it's written by somebody else, you may feel, you know, it's easy to have envy, right? Because, you know, everybody publicizes the things they've, they've succeeded at. Nobody talks about the things they've, you know, epically failed at online. <laughs> yeah. You don't go and say, holy shit, you know, I blew this royally on Facebook. Like, you, you don't say that, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, on, on Facebook, when you just follow people's walls, they are like full of uh, success stories and yeah, really nice pictures. And th- I mean, no one takes a pictures of themselves when they just woke up. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Okay, so what about, uh, let's say, when when you are not... I mean, there are some days when you don't feel like writing at that certain moment, right? I mean, I don't know about your uh, daily routine, but sure. I'm sure that sometimes you don't really feel like writing or creating anything. Do mm-hmm. you? What do you do on those uh, cases? I mean, do you kind of have any tricks to put you back into the creative wave or you skip those days or you no, absolutely no, I, have to write the thousand words I, I, or whatever? I, I don't skip those days. I don't have any tricks. I just, you know, put a, put my fingers on the keyboard and move them to see what shows up. Literally, that's it. Um, and that's that's a really simplistic answer, I realize. But uh, if you talk to anybody who writes consistently, anybody who produces, it's just simply a habit. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's really nothing else to it. it at, at this point, it's habitual. So, you know, I have off days where I don't feel like writing, but I mean, you wake up and I mean, there's probably never a day where you don't feel like brushing your teeth or maybe there is, but you still brush your teeth. Yeah. And that's kind of the way I see it. Okay. And do you have any, uh, I mean, specific routine or you're kind of, you know, I just wake up, I read for a little bit, I write in a journal and then I write on the computer. And you know, when I've hit a thousand words, I'll usually stop. If I feel that I've hit flow, I'll keep going and that's it. Okay, so you start with this important task from the very beginning. So at the end, yeah. you know that, you know, the day is done. I mean, you... Yeah, you've... I mean, it's it's the first thing I do every morning. Okay, and then you, you just kind of feel satisfied that you've done it and you have yep. a non-stressful day later on. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I see. And what about um, many people kind of get really discouraged from the very first negative feedback Mm-hmm. And that kind of really hits their ego. And and if they had self-dubs in the very beginning before that, it kind of crushes them. Sure. Which I think is terrible because, you know, it's, it's you know, I, I understand why they get into this state. But it's it's very kind of sad because it's, it, you know, many, many people, I think, kind of keep their writings to themselves just from the fear of, of that situation. So what would you advise the newbie writers who kind of end up like facing the very f- first feedback as being criticism? Uh, how should they deal with that in order not to give up and just continue creating because they have it in themselves? 
two ways. One, put yourself in a position where you can't get feedback. Um, you know, don't be on Facebook, don't be on Twitter, don't interact with people, just write. Um, and you know, share with whoever needs to be shared. Don't interact with people. The other thing is you don't feed, feed trolls. You know, it's very simple. Um, you know, I, I had somebody on a show recently who said I has a zero pol- tolerance policy for anybody who is negative towards him or towards his work, which personally, I think that that's actually acceptable. I think that's completely fine. I, I ban people on Facebook who feel that they need to flame me or say horrible things about me. Um, like, you know, I mean, and that's why you'll never see them because I, I ban them. Like I ban them from my friends. I don't talk to them. Um, and, and I don't have a problem with that. Uh, I, I don't think that it's, it's a worthwhile use of your time to sit around and, and, you know, deal with them. So that's one thing. Put yourself in a position where maybe you can't get that feedback. Uh, the other is learn to live with it because it's going to happen. You know, the, the bigger your platform gets, the more people you reach, the more likely you are to reach somebody who hates you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see. And I've noticed, I don't know if, if I'm right, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I've noticed that you don't have your personal uh, blog site. You, you're blogging on Medium, right? No, I mean, I have a personal blog, but it's very, I don't, it, it's called unmistakableceo.com and I hardly ever, I mean, I, the stuff you've been seeing on Facebook lately has come from there, um, yeah. but I blog on Medium and, you know, and I write there, but I mean, I started the Unmistakable CEO blog mainly because I needed a place where I could write whatever I wanted to uh, without an audience necessarily. Like I was, it, part of the reason, it gave me an opportunity to um, do stuff that, you know, um, an audience wouldn't always see. Okay, so so you have some kind of you know treasure hidden there still, or it came out eventually to Medium or in Facebook statuses and things like that. No, not I mean there's there's stuff that, that has never been seen by anybody. I just you know I don't publish it. Ah, okay, I see. And also looking back at your journey, I have a feeling that you kind of you know you made different small steps and you kind of approached different opportunities, which kind of the smaller things led you to bigger ones and then the bigger ones, etc. So I was mm-hmm. just wondering, how do you uh, kind of select what is opportunity and what may end up being just time waster? Do you have any indications? Basically, <laughs> I follow whatever makes me. No, I, I mean, the biggest one is, is that am I curious about this? Is there something about this that intrigues me? That's usually the starting point. Um, if not, like if I'm like, wow, this sounds really boring, then I won't do it. But that's really the major one. Okay, I see. So and and I guess that the creativity is like the, the common thread that kind of combines all those different activities you're involved at. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. I mean, I think, am I curious about it? Is it going to give me the opportunity to create something interesting? And is it going to be op- give me an opportunity to connect with interesting people? Those would be the three. Okay, I see. And what are your plans for the future? I mean, I, I'm, I'm absolutely sure that you're kind of, you know, the, the way you're headed is uh, growing constantly and evolving um, creative-wise. So do you have any projects mm-hmm. that are coming up or, you know, w- w- how you envisage the, the future? Yeah, I mean, to some degree, I mean, I, you know, I, I think it's a little dangerous to predict too much of the future. I mean, we have a project called The Compass that's coming out. Um, we're working with a new coach and mentor. So, I mean, it, it's hard to say. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't have this perfectly planned out future. You know, I've, I've never, I've, I never have. I mean, part of it is seeing, okay, what does show up next on the radar? I mean, as you probably saw on Facebook, I'm in talks with a publisher about writing a traditionally mm-hmm. published book at this point. Um, we don't know what that book is going to be. We're still in discussions as to what it might evolve into. And that's literally just started within the last week. So that's about all I can tell you right now. Mm-hmm. I see. And um, 
let's say, I mean, I just want to get back to the newbie writers again, just trying to to understand, I mean, what would you advise them? Like, let's say someone is starting from scratch and they kind of, you know, they are just writing their very first book they have the idea about and uh, they don't have an audience in place yet and mm-hmm. um, they work full time, they have families and different other obligations at the same time. So what would be the best way to approach things for them and which mm-hmm. should be the very first first steps that they should address in the beginning? So, okay, well, let's let's break this down fairly simply. First is, you know, I think the habit of writing, right? People worry about a lot of other things that make no sense. Like if you're worried about an audience before you've written anything, that's kind of pointless, right? Mm-hmm. doesn't matter if you, you have an audience. In fact, so my... my there are some people who will tell you write for six months before you even let an audience know. So that way the audience doesn't show up and say, oh, you only have one thing. Because I think the audience has to see that you've committed to this project and that you will, sh- you will keep showing up, that you will stand the test of time. And the problem is that if you write, you know, if you start out tomorrow and you say, hey, here's my one blog post, what the audience doesn't get is a sense that, okay, this is, you know, somebody who's here to stay and somebody who's going to keep showing up. Um, so that's, that's important, Right. So part of it is that habit of, of writing and just creating. Like you have to do that. That's not, you know, that's not negotiable as far as I'm concerned. Um, you do that. Uh, the other thing, you brought up families and time. Again, this is about making time. You don't need, you know, um, we all have the same amount of time in one day regardless of what our circumstances are. So you figure out where in your day you can set time and you use that time. Whether that's, it's your lunch break, maybe you have a happy hour, maybe you watch less TV, um, you know, I mean, maybe you spend less, you know, one hour less on Facebook, which I can promise you everybody who's listening to this spends too much time on Facebook, myself included. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are the th- kinds of things you have to think about. And then as far as, you know, getting an audience, the biggest problem I see, and this is a mistake I made, is that the first people we go to is we try to go and tell strangers, people who have no idea who we are, to read our blog. Um, but once you start letting people who you have some sort of a connection with know, and, and you know, you can make a connection with people who are initially strangers, like you can get to know them over time. But like, let's say, for example, the first thing you did to me was said, hey, I wrote this blog post and I had no idea who you are. That's going to be real, a really weird way to start a conversation. Yeah. That's a, a bit like going up to somebody in a bar and saying, hey, here's my business card. Yeah. Um, you would never do that. Like. And so it's about figuring out, you know, what social norms that you have incorporated in your normal life would you bring to how you interact with people on the Internet? Okay, yeah, that sounds sounds very clear and uh, very doable, which is very important at the same time. Yeah, well, very interesting. I'm I'm just wondering, like, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm trying over and over again to to bring in the message that it's not really about statistics it's not really about the numbers and it's more about the true human relationships and it's it's mm-hmm. about the connection with your audience that matters the quality of the connection and relationships right. that matters because uh, i just interviewed a person who crowdfunded his book and uh, raised more than 11000 dollars just with a little bit over 100 people who backed it up mm-hmm. so it's not really yeah. about having these huge numbers and being kind of uh, scared of people who have such big audiences because you may end up having just 200 but really you know really really fans who who may kind of you mm-hmm. know help you a lot and and have a bigger impact than the other one who has 2000 so how, how do you view, yeah. view this 
point? I mean, how can people kind of understand the importance of the relationships and where they can lead you eventually? Your position on that view? In terms of, of you know, the importance of relationships and quality? Yeah, I mean, without a doubt, here's the thing. Like, I can tell you the, the most, you know, some of the most shared stuff I've ever written is the least impactful. It's been shared thousands of times and nobody's actually read it. Whereas there's smaller stuff that I've written that very few people have read, but it connected with those people. And that to me is an absolute indication of exactly what you're talking about. So yeah, I think the quality of the connections matters much more than the quantity. Okay. And how do you try to balance i mean because the quality of the connection also includes kind of you know dedicating a certain period of time to those people and kind of connect it somehow be that through emails or you know i don't know even that uh, um, evil facebook or <laughs> whatever it is so how do you try to balance that time you spend to build relationships and connections versus the time you create um, that's, that's an interesting question. I don't know that there's a right answer to this. I think it's going to be different for everybody. It's, it's based on, I think what feels natural to you. Um, and, and also understanding, you know, you're not going to be in a creation mode 24 seven. I mean, some people might be, I'm not one of them. Um, so it, it's, it's kind of, I don't know that there's a set answer to this question. Like I can't give you a tactic per se. Um, what I would say is, is, is you know, figuring out what's right for you and, and realizing that you know at the end of the day you're dealing with human beings they want to feel you know important they want to feel like because they matter to really you and you know you do what one. you have to well, in order I to make them feel like they matter okay i now. see and the um, last really excited not to waste too much soon. of your Just time and to wrap the things up uh, you're creating different forms of, of uh, and content I'm really excited so you're writing uh, posts you're making a long facebook statuses you're making this amazing show on podcast and you're also writing books so um, which one uh, at the end, I mean, do you see any difference in terms and, uh, of the way it's consumed and, writing, and perceived creating, or, you know, for you, it doesn't create really matter. It's with just your words and another creative piece you're putting out. Well, OK, so kind of, you know, as I said in the beginning, I think the audience responds much more to me as a as a, you know, as a podcaster than a writer. Uh, I think that's where I have the most engaged group of people. Um, I think that's what I'm known for. Uh, and I am definitely a much more skilled interviewer than I am a writer. Um, writing just happens to be something I do for myself. So I, I would say that maybe the big difference in the way the content is consumed is the level of engagement inter and interactivity in those things. Okay. And from your part, it's, you enjoy all of them equally? Yeah, I, I would say so. Okay. Well, I mean... Thank you very much for, for this interview. I, I really enjoyed talking to you. I, I kind of, you know, this one was a bit different from um, what I had so far. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I think it's because we kind of, you know, we didn't go into the, you know, structured and more practical pieces. We kind of tried to cover a more um, deep and emotional <laughs> things sure. in here. Yeah, without a doubt. Well, thanks a lot. And uh, anything else you would like to add, like where people can find you? Or, oh, yeah. yeah. Probably the best place for people to find us is unmistakablecreative.com or to do a search in iTunes for Unmistakable Creative. Okay, yeah. And I encourage everyone to go and listen to the show because it's really a good one. Well, I guess that's it for now. I'm really excited that very, very soon, just on March 20th, I will be opening the doors for my masterclass. And I'm really excited to work with my students. 
And you can check out the details in case you might be interested to become one as well since there are a few days left at www.annealexander.com slash masterclass. And uh, meanwhile, keep writing, keep creating, um, create stories with your words and share them with the world later on. Take care and have fun. Are you struggling trying to figure out how to sell copies of your book, especially the first 100 copies? The Author Marketing Institute is offering access to their latest free video course called Selling the First 100 Copies of Your Book. This is the course everyone should have when they started publishing. It goes through all the basics from starting a mailing list to experimenting with different prices. If you follow the instructions in this course, you should be primed and ready to sell your first 100 copies, if not many more. Sign up for free at www.authormarketinginstitute.com.